We have three elders, and when uh, Brian left to go into the counseling ministry, we divided up some responsibilities. Andrew did a fantastic job of putting together the answers to questions online in the EFCA search portals. We began looking for a new pastor. Uh, he wrote out a lot of things about our church and got it spot on. And Kyle uh, took the responsibility to lead the pastor search committee. And as you heard this morning, uh, we've moved along very, very well thanks to his leadership. And we're now right on the edge of being able to hear and eventually vote on a candidate for lead pastor. And my responsibility was to make sure that there was somebody in the pulpit every Sunday morning which has worked fine until this morning. I got a call about 7 o'clock, and the uh, uh, the caller ID, is what I'm trying to say, said Paul Bartnick. And I said, this is probably not good news. <laughs> And it wasn't. Paul was sick, uh, expressed his uh, disappointment as not being able to deliver the Father's Day message. And when I hung up, uh, we had a couple of options. First one was to scream wildly, <laughs> which I did for a while. Secondly, I, I thought, well, I'll call in sick too. But I didn't know who to call. <laughs> and then the Lord reminded me that the people of Lake Morton Community Church, and, and by the way, you are the church. You don't come to church. You don't go to church. You are the church, the, the living body of Christ in this place. The folks come to Sunday morning not to worship the person in the pulpit, but to worship the true and living God. So we're going to share this morning some thoughts from God's Word. You've already worshipped Him in song, in prayer, in confession, in praise. So worship Him with me now as we look into God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a verse that you're familiar with. In the King James it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those four purposes of the scripture, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, are <clears throat> spelled out in different words and terms depending on the translation. In the NIV, they say teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Look at each of those, doctrine, that's teaching you what to believe, the right beliefs. Correction, that's correcting wrong beliefs. Instruction in righteousness is teaching right actions. And reproof is correcting wrong actions. So in one verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, you have the purpose of scripture is to teach us what to believe, 
to correct us if we believe the wrong things, to teach us how to act, and to correct us when we're not acting right. And that pretty well covers everything. Well, we have no trouble believing that all scripture is inspired. Sometimes, though, we have trouble believing that all scripture is profitable. Not only does Paul say this in, in 2 Timothy, but Jesus also reaffirms the idea in Matthew 4, 4, when he said that every, the man will live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Every word. The every, again, saying all scripture is indeed profitable. So when we read a passage like we're going to look at this morning in Matthew 21, it's the story of Jesus and a withered fig tree. We can't just dismiss it as being filler, as being something that's just there. We have to understand that God put everything in his word for a purpose. There was a story about a new convert that was told, you need to start reading this, the Bible. So he started in Genesis at the first, not knowing any better. Everything was going along pretty fine until he got to chapter 5. And If you look at Genesis 5, it's a whole series of begats. And this one was the father of this one, who was the father of that one, whose son was this one. Uh, I think there's like 25 verses there. And he got discouraged. And then he thought, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is the New Testament church, so I, I need to start reading in the New Testament. Have you just read Matthew chapter 1 lately? <laughs> Another begat and begat and begat and begat. Now, God has spoken to me and probably to you through genealogy and, and has shared some things. But these are not exactly the kind of verses that you put on a magnet and stick on your refrigerator. And then you've got things like Ezra, last part of uh, chapter 10. There are the names listed of 107 men guilty of intermarriage, or as the King James quaintly puts it, taking unto them strange wives. I'm not going to make a comment there. <laughs> now, God may speak to you and I through any part of his word because every word is inspired. I can't tell you the number of times when Brian was preaching and after the sermon in the service, I would come up and shake his hand and say, let me tell you what the Lord showed me today. And it had nothing at all to do with what his sermon was about. And you've had those experiences. God speaks to you, and you, you hear something, and it had no real tie to the message other than you were in an attitude of listening, listening to the Spirit. And you heard them. You heard him. So the first aim in the study this morning is every Bible passage potentially is valuable because God doesn't waste words. He has no useless words. All of his words can be spoken to us. And the second thing is like unto us, and that's to remind us that a major 
message of the passage may not be the only thing that God is trying to say to you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 18. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. In the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? The major message of this passage seems to be that prayers are effective when offered in faith. That, that's just one part of it. I'm not going to dwell specifically on, on that, other to say you know what you get when you pray and don't have faith. James speaks to that, chapter 1, starting about verse uh, 6. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Well, let's stop there. When you, where else would you put your faith? Well, here's where a lot of people do. In self. Mm -hmm. We pray and we say, God, take care of this. And then we roll up our sleeves and get to work taking care of it our own way. And we wonder where God's power and his presence is because it wasn't there and it didn't work out. So James says, don't waver. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. For a person who wavers with divided loyalty is unsettled like the wave of the sea. You ever go to the seashore or the beach and watch a wave? You know what it does? Moves back and forth, back and forth coming out. It's not steady. You can't hold on to it. You can't grab it and say, I got you. Moves in, moves out. Such people, he's talking about those with divided faith, should not expect to receive, you know the next word? Anything from the Lord. If we don't pray in faith, we can't expect to get anything from God. And where we're going to spend most of our time, though, is looking at the warning that Jesus gives in this passage about unfruitfulness. <clears throat> unfruitfulness. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that sound like works? Hmm? You know... The emphasis in our congregation is on grace. So what's this thing about producing fruit, about being, being fruitful? Is, is, isn't that just works? Well, let me ask you a couple other questions. Was Jesus all man or all God? Yes, okay. Is God all loving or all just? Yes. Justice would be intolerable without grace. And grace without justice would be a mockery. This is all part of understanding the nature of God. 
Do you believe in election or free will? Yes. And I believe when we study this passage, we'll see that it's exactly failure to accept God's grace that leads to be cutting off. Because when Jesus spoke to the fig tree and said, you're not producing, it was an act of grace. And works, what we call works, if they're enabled by the Holy Spirit, they become fruit. They're not self-works. Self-works are things that you work up in yourself, things that you want to get done because you want to do it. The fruit of the Spirit is what God puts in you to work out, and there's a vast difference. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. The validity of what's on the outside is made visible by what's on the inside. Let me say that again. What's in you comes out of you. And what God has put in you, if you let him put it in you, that's what comes out. Jesus always dealt with the inside first. Because that was the greater importance. When he talked with the Pharisees, you remember he said, it's not, it's not what comes out that's, that defiles you, it's what's inside. He said, you're like, like men that, you're kind of like a tomb, you know, beautiful on the outside, whitewashed, lovely. Inside is what? Dead bones. In our lives, God's in the process of making the invisible visible. When fruit is produced in our life, it's outward evidence of what's inside, an abiding relationship with Jesus. When barrenness is revealed, it shows an empty, non-abiding spirit. So let's explore a few things in this passage in a little more detail. First, we see in verse 18 that God needs fruit. Jesus said, I'm hungry. Okay, we're kind of trying to humanize God here, and that always, always breaks down. But the analogy is true at the point that God uses humans to carry out his work. For example, he needed a man to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, and he chose Moses. He needed someone to uh, deliver the people from the Midianites, and he chose Gideon. In both these cases, God could have done things miraculously, and in fact, in both those cases, as he was leading the people, he did miracles. He, he helped them to cross the Red Sea on dry land. He defeated the Midianite army with 300 men when the army of the Midianites was 10 times that much. So God was involved, but he used human beings to do it. So in verse 18, Jesus had a real need. He was hungry. When we consider that in the spiritual sense, and we ask, why does God need fruit? If you don't think it through, you're going to say, well, he doesn't really. 
But the answer is obvious. He does because he wants his nature, his character, to go to everybody else through us. How in the world are people going to see God if they don't see God in us? They're sure not going to see it in the world. The Christian life in its simplest form is an ongoing response to the character and nature of God. That's why we're taught often to get to know God, to understand his heart, his character, so that we can reflect it. The fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, are glimpses into the character of God. God reveals more of himself directly to Christians as we seek him. But non-Christians, and to some extent carnal Christians, they see God's character revealed in our lives, in the lives of spirit-filled, fruit-producing Christians. When you're able to love in a situation that humanly is impossible, when you're able to have joy in a situation that is humanly impossible. You're saying to a watching world, this is what the nature of God is like. He is love. He is joy. So God needs our fruit. Then in verse 19, Jesus expected the tree to have fruit. No two ways about it. After all, it wasn't just a shade tree. It was a fruit tree. God expects his life to flow through us to others. That's why we're called. That's what we do. Bearing fruit is not optional. Bearing fruit for a fruit tree is not optional. The fruit may not be large, maybe even a little bit bitter at first, but it's fruit nonetheless. Up until recently, I had a couple of uh, grapefruit trees in my backyard. Uh, incidentally, they help fulfill another part of Scripture. You remember in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said not to worry that even the birds of the air get fed and, and uh, so I can take care of you. Uh, he was fulfilling that part about the birds of the air with my fruit trees. <laughs> and they... They got more fruit off it, I think, than, than I did, but it was a, an interesting situation. And the first time those trees bore fruit, they were very small, not very edible, but with proper feeding and nurture, they grew and they began to produce. Jesus expects his trees to have fruit. They notice that some of the trees look like they have fruit, but on closer inspection, they're barren. There's a jillion reasons not to judge others. One of the best ones is we're not very good at it. You remember Samuel, when he was called by God to uh, choose someone to anoint as the next king of Israel, and he went to Jesse's house, and he saw David's older brother, Eliab. And he thought to himself, wow, this guy is going to make a great king. He just looks the part. And if you read scripture, you find out what was really in his heart, and it was not what God wanted. 
And they went through the whole, the whole list of sons, and Samuel says, is this it? And Jesse said, yeah. Oh, well, the, the kid's out taking care of the sheep. <laughs> and you know the story on the wonderful verse where God says through the writer of the, of the Old Testament, you look on the outside, but I look at the heart. That is so refreshing and so uplifting to know that God judges us by what's inside, not what's outside. So when you're able to love in difficult situations, when you're able to have patience, you're saying to the world, this is what God is like. And there's some obvious applications here too. Many folks have lots of leaves and branches or works covering up the fact that there's nothing inside of God's nature, only more of their own nature. Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. John the Baptist warned in Matthew 3.10, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. Just before the fruits are listed in Galatians 5, <coughs> excuse me, there's another contrasting list of what the flesh produces. All sorts of evils like <coughs> hatred, jealousy, envy, discord, the types of feelings that come out I'm sorry. Come out when our will and our way is being thwarted. And you know what that list is called? The one, in, the one in Galatians 5 is called fruits of the spirit. But this is not called fruits of the flesh. It's called works of the flesh. Because that's what the flesh produces, all sorts of evil like hatred, jealousy, envy, discord. Because that's what they are, works. Thank you, Andrew. You see how consistent this is with God's grace? When we accept God's grace, we produce fruit. When we live by works, we produce, well, just a nice-looking tree. Nothing there to feed anyone. Looks good on the outside, but doesn't have any substance. Now, notice that the tree did bear fruit at one time. Look at verse 19. It's not enough to have been fruitful at one time. Try telling Lakeland Electric you paid your bill last month and this month you don't need to. I'll loan you a flashlight and some candles. I think we all know people, hopefully we're not like that, that are living in the past. Yes, I served God at one time. 
Yes, I had an experience when I was eight. Yes, I used to be a member of, of so-and-so church. Uh, but it's all past. We often disguise unfruitfulness by talking the good talk. But that's insufficient to meet today's needs. If fruit, fruit trees could talk, they might reply to Jesus' demand for fruit with saying something like James 2.16 says, Go, and I, I wish you well, and, and be well fed. But isn't that ridiculous? When we see someone in need, isn't there something in your spirit that just wants to reach out and provide that person with, with what they need? The fruit of encouragement, the fruit of patience, the fruit of acceptance, the fruit of love. Not just simply saying, well, I hope things get better for you. And then the classic, I'll pray for you. Which for some people might be an okay starting point if that prayer leads you to reaching out to that person. If you're praying for somebody that has a need and God says, guess who I have to meet that need? And it's you. Then you need to respond. The way to overcome greed and anger and envy and lust and pride and jealousy and on and on is to let God produce the fruit in you. The fruit of the Spirit counteracts every trait that could lead to you falling. There's a related, a related passage in Luke 13 in which the fig tree is given ample time to produce with a message that sooner or later there is judgment. For a non-producing tree, judgment is inevitable. Jesus is quite clear in John 15. It says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And those that are producing, he prunes so they can produce more. What does it mean to prune? Well, one word synonym is cut. So John 15, 2 says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he cuts those so they can bear, bear more. So when you're going through difficult times, times of hardship, times of testing, times when everything seems to go wrong, it's extremely important that you ask yourself, am I just being cut off or am I being pruned? And I think of that passage almost every time that I do trimming around my yard because I know that my goal is for my shrubs, my plants, to bloom more, to grow more. And I think that's why God gives us testing gives us difficult times, gives us hardship, gives us things where we have to rely upon him because he wants us to grow more. He's not punishing when he prunes. He's preparing you for more fruit. And isn't that what you want? Finally, the fruit, 
tree does not produce fruit for itself. You know, I, I still like being around me even when I'm grumpy or grouchy or not feeling good. No one else does, of course. <laughs> but I don't need the fruits of the Spirit for my own benefit. They're there for the benefit of others. The fruit tree does not exist to eat its own fruit. It's kind of a simple statement, but yet when you think of the application, don't we often feel like, oh, God is blessing me so much, I'm just going to sit here and revel in his blessings. Yeah? You think that's why he's blessing you? Or is it because you're experiencing things that he wants you to share with others, that he wants you to reach out to others, that he wants you to empathize with others because you've been in the same situation? There's an old joke uh, we used to tell when I was managing a store, something like this. Um, I bought this piece of equipment two years ago and never used it, and my, my boss is unhappy with me when he finds out. And someone says, well, what was the equipment you bought and never used? A fire extinguisher. <laughs> well, it's not like that, folks. The things that we have that God has given us have to be used. They have to get out there and touch people's lives. That's how God works. He works through us to reach others. God wants our availability. You've heard it said so many times, God wants our availability. But you've heard John 3.16 said a bunch, and you still believe that. So that statement is true. God wants our availability. wonder how many times Jesus passed that fig tree before this incident where he said, you know, I'm hungry. There may be things that God has put in your life that you feel like they're just sitting there. You know, I've got knowledge of this. I've got concerns about this. I've got the experience of this. And, and so what? Well, I assure you, if God has put something in your life that can bless others, the time will come when he'll say, you, I want your fruit out now. Now's the time. I've got someone that's hungry. They need what you have. The key to producing fruit, finally, is faith. God produces fruit in us in response to our faith when we step out in faith and take God at his word. He produces the kind of fruit that reflect the life of Jesus. Here's an example. Uh, you read Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So you believe God's word, even if circumstances don't dictate it, even if you don't feel like it. You obey by faith, and God takes that faith and begins to produce joy in your life. Same thing for patience and kindness, and self-control, and so on. When we respond to God's word in faith, he produces fruit in the spirit. 
We all need the Spirit of God continually making our fruit grow. Even Job, and I was reading this the other day, uh, Job is portrayed in the Bible as a very righteous man, but he had to learn some things. Unfortunately, he had some friends that didn't help him very much. But do you know when God, at the end of the book of Job, blessed him, what initiated that? And I'm reading from uh, Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the verse is just before God has chastised Job's friends and basically said, you guys misrepresented me. Job spoke the truth. Listen to this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. That's kind of revealing, isn't it? When we do things that are maybe contrary to our human nature, but are consistent with God's nature, that's when we get the blessings. See, we never arrive. You know that. The only alternatives that gives us spiritual walk that gives us in our spiritual walk is to just keep growing and keep responding in faith and keep producing fruit. Otherwise, we run the risk of being cut down. It's not work, it's grace. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He wants our availability, he wants us to produce fruit. If we are believing the Word of God to the point that we're acting on it, it's impossible not to be a fruit-producing tree. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. It's hard for us to imagine how you can possibly love us the way you do. And even more Unbelievable is the fact that you've chosen to work through us. You want people to see you in us. We want to bear fruit. We want to be representatives of the nature that you have so that other people can see God in us. Thank you, Father, for giving us these words. Touch our hearts with them. Touch our will with them. Touch our emotions with them. Make us willing to be what you want us to be, not just what we want for ourselves. And when you do that, Father, we continue to thank you and give you praise and grace. And we pray this expectantly and in faith in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.